Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Exodus. The Old Testament book of Exodus and Exodus and chapter number 21. Exodus and chapter number 21. Now, as we're going through the life and ministry of Moses, what we're going to see is that we're going to fast forward quite a bit. That for the purpose of this series, we're trying to hit more of the narrative. We're trying to see the life and ministry of Moses. Now, that does mean that there are going to be times that we're going to fast forward or we'll give a summary. For example, we'll do a survey of the book of Leviticus rather than go through all 613 laws. That's not the purpose of this series. We're going to give a quick summary of the tabernacle on Wednesday, and we encourage you to be here. Every Christian needs to have a working knowledge of the tabernacle. But there are going to be a lot of things that we're going to fast forward from this place on. But today will be unusual because we are hitting a portion of the law. We're hitting an explanation as God is pulling Moses aside and giving a commentary on the Ten Commandments that he just got through delivering. And if we would notice in the book of Exodus, chapter number 21, Exodus chapter 21, and notice with me starting at verse number 1. Exodus chapter 21, starting at verse 1, the Bible says this. Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years shall he serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he should go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master hath given him a wife, and she bore him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall, say, shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges, and he also bring him to the door, or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awe, and he shall serve him forever." And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Exodus 21 and verse 5? Exodus 21 and verse 5, notice the statement that is said here, I love my master. I love my master. And I would like to turn that to a question for you. Do you love your master? Do you love your master? Will the Lord's help We'll preach on this question here. Do you love your master? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come and give the explanation, help us also to have the application for this as well. That we can apply to our own life. That we could see that we have a choice of following after you. And that we would make that choice. I'm asking that it would be clear. That it would be easily understood. And that it would be a help. Once again, Fill me with your precious spirit now that you could do a work, an eternal work that I could not do myself. We're trusting you and depending upon you, knowing that you'll never fail 
and you can never let us down. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you love your master? Now, as we approach this, we want to remind you that this is an Eastern book and not a Western book. What do we mean by that? We know that there is a difference in thought between Eastern thought and Western thought. We are considered part of Western civilization, and we have a different idea, different way of thinking than the Western world. May I also remind you that this is about 3,000 years difference. This is written approximately in the 1400s BC. We are now in the 2000s, past that AD. So you understand that there is over 3,000 years difference. And so there's a different train of thought, a different ideology, there's a different way of thinking. And so when we approach this, we're not giving permission for slavery, we're not explaining this, but we're saying back in those world, in those times, they did do those things. For example, there were times that, that someone would be put into slavery. Why? Well, let's say that someone took their bills. Now, today we have such thing as bill collectors and tax or, and credit reports and whatever else. We have paper that supposedly keeps people from bankruptcy court and all this other stuff. But back then, they had to do something very practical. That if I owed a lot of money and I could not pay it back, well, they couldn't just say, well, you know, I took a loss. They would make someone work for it back. And someone would be sold into slavery or put themselves into slavery in order to pay back that bill. Well, because God's people and God believed in freedom and believed where people could make a place of choosing for themselves, God had made it so any Hebrew person who was put into slavery for whatever reason, that they could not be an eternal slave, but after six years of service, in the seventh year, they were to be free. This is just something that God set up so that way they weren't always in eternal bondage because God is the God of freedom. Wanted to free people from their bondage. But we understood that there was a time because of a practical way of working off your debt, that's what they did. But he didn't want them to be permanently enslaved. He wanted them to have freedom to follow after him. And there's a whole explanation and whatnot. So God set up this law, but he also was very practical in dealing. Again, it's different thought than what we would have today and a different way of doing things. But he had to try to order and structure what is going on for a very practical way. So he has a, a person, a man who was sold into slavery, and he was single coming in. And the master said, here, here, uh, here's a wife. Maybe the guy, servant was working and he looked at another slave and he got twiddle-pated and said, his heart started beating and said, wilt thou? And she wilted it and they got married. And they got married. But because the master had owned her before and the guy was single, that the master did not have to let the wife go. He did not have to let the children go. Just the idea of ownership. And again, it's not something that we recognize in our society. It's not how we would do things. And it's a foreign concept. But God is setting up. If a guy was married when he went into slavery at the end of seven years, his wife came with him. So it's setting up these rules and setting up the thing. And it's not the heart of the message. But what is the heart of the message is 
the slave, the, the one who was freed, the Hebrew person who was freed, can say, you know what? I love my master. My master's been good to me. I have a wife and I have children. I want to stay with them. I want to be with them. My master has been good to me. I want to decide to serve him. He could publicly be served. And they, they needed a thing to be able to identify that someone was an internal bondage. So the master wouldn't be um, guilty of breaking the law. They wanted to keep things in there. So they had to have some type of ceremony, some way of saying it, that saying this guy was there willingly and not because he's being in bondage and forced to. And so they set up this principle here. And again, it's a different concept. It's a different way of thinking. And it's not what we're promoting today. We're saying that this is uh, over 3,000 years distance in time. It's a different thought. It's not Western thought. It's Eastern thought. And so we're not promoting the idea of slavery. But we do want to draw a principle here that when the man was uh, freed, he can choose, because he loved his master, to follow through. And that's what we want to hit today. With this practical idea, do you love your master? If the man chose to love his master, then there was going to be some things that were going to be evident in his life where he chose to put himself in bondage to the one he loved, to the master that he had. So the very first thing, as we, I come with the question, do you love your master? So if you love your master, what things are going to happen? Number one, if you love your master, you'll make a decision to love your master. You'll make a decision to love your master. As we see in verse 5, if a servant shall plainly say, I love my master. Before he said anything, he had to make a decision for this. He had to make a decision that I love my master. I want to follow after him. I love my master. I want to follow him. Now, what we're going to do through here is we're going to make an application. We know that we have the great master, Jesus Christ, God, who is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. He is the one who created the universe. He's the one who created me. He's the one who saved me. And we have such a great, gracious God is that he doesn't force me to serve him. And so what a great God that we have that he doesn't force us, but... We can make a choice because I love my master. And that's the choice that we have to go to. There are plenty of people who are saved. They've, they've accepted the free gift of salvation, but never made a decision to follow after God. By the way, no one follows God by accident. No one wakes up one morning and goes, Woohoo! I've been following God these last couple days and I didn't even know it! It doesn't happen that way. To follow after God is a choice, a decision that has to be made. And people have to make that decision. Make a decision clears up so many things. Let me give you an example. There are some people today who woke up and they had to decide whether they're going to go to church or not. And oh, if I, they say things like, if I feel good, I'll show up to church. And so Sunday comes up and they go, oh, Oh, I stayed up too late last night. Oh, my back hurts. Oh, my knee hurts. Oh, <laughs> I think I might get a sniffle. And they, they struggle every week. And they're not evil, bad people. There are good people that say, I want to go to church, but these things keep getting in the way. Something keeps jumping in the way. 
But if they make a decision, you know what? I don't care what happens. I am going to go to church no matter what. It is amazing how many of those things clear up. Because they made a decision. Now there's no longer a fight. For example, I didn't wake up this morning and go, you know, I don't know if I'm going to make it today. I just don't know. Why not? I'm made of the same flesh that you and I am. Because I've already made a decision. I made a decision a long time ago. No matter what, I'm going to make it to church. So I don't struggle with making that decision. I don't struggle with obstacles getting in the way because I've made that decision. If somebody says, you know what, if I get time, I'll read my Bible. Satan will make it so you never have time to read your Bible. But if you make a decision, I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to carve out a time, and this is where I'm going to do it, and when I'm going to do it. It's amazing how many things are not in your way anymore. They used to be in your way. Uh, My wife and I have commented, as being pastor, that we watch people to make decisions. And when they make a decision, the struggle is over. Even if they make the wrong decision, I'm not going to go to church, the struggle's over. I'm not going to follow God, the struggle's over. Or I am going to follow God, the struggle's over. But while they're still in the midst where they haven't made a decision, there's a struggle going on. Oh, you know, I kind of want to serve God, but you know. And so again, I'm not saying that they're bad people. I'm saying that there's some people who've not made the decision to follow after God. We may talk to someone and they may accept Christ as their Savior. And they say, you know what, I'm going to make it a church. And they don't show up. And do we get discouraged? No, we understand that these people have never developed the habit of going to church. They've never made the decision. And so what we're talking about here is that you have to make a decision to love your Lord. That's a decision you're going to have to make. I'm going to decide to follow after him. I'm going to decide to move after him. The, 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 um, the person who is going to be freed from slavery, it's almost seventh year, he's got to decide what he's going to do. And during that time before he decides, there could be, should I stay? Should I go? I could do this or I could do this. There's that, that time there. But once you make that decision, and you're determined to make the decision, it all clears up. The very first thing to love our master, if you love your master, is you have to make a purposeful, intentional decision. I'm going to love my master. By the way, did you know that even seventh graders, high schoolers can make a decision to follow the Lord? Now, when they're smaller, we understand they're still developing. But by the time they hit seventh grade all the way to high school... They can make a decision to follow after God or not follow after God. I have watched teenagers who struggled through it and were praying it through. Then they make a decision not to follow God. We could see them make that decision. But that's how early children can make a decision to follow after God or not follow after God. But there has to be a decision made. Until that decision is made, there's turmoil and stuff. But they have to start off with a decision. I decide to follow after Christ. I decide to love my master. I've made a decision, no turning back. And things clear up once that decision is made. So as we make this application, as we're reading through this here and and using it to apply to our life, if you love your master, first of all, you will make a decision. If you love your master, first of all, you'll make a decision. The second thing that we'll see here is that if you love your master, you'll be vocal 
about loving your master. If you love your master, you'll be vocal about loving your master. Notice with me in verse 5. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. He had to be vocal. It had to be plainly said. So, are you going to go to church? What is that? <laughs> Speak clearly. You understand that if you made a decision, you'll be vocal about it. So where are you going this weekend? What plans do you have? I'm going to church. You can make a decision and be vocal about it. You're not ashamed of that decision. I guess I'm going to church. Don't tell anybody. You know, if you love your master, I love Jesus. I made a decision to follow after him. Then, hey, are you one of those Christian people? Are you talking to me? No, yeah, I've decided to follow after Christ. When you make the decision, you're, you could plainly say, I've made that decision. I love my master. Why do you go to the church? Let me tell you, I love my master. Why do you read your Bible? I love my master. Why are you passing out these little pamphlet things to me? Because I love my master. We'll plainly be vocal about it. The reason why we're doing these things. I love my master. I love my master. If we love, if we made a decision to follow after him, if we love our master, we'll be vocal about it. You know, it's amazing this idea of love. That if I love my wife, I want to talk about her. The thing that you love, you want to talk about. You want to be with. You're not afraid to talk about it. I gave this example the other day. But if um, I love my wife, without a doubt, I don't need reminders to love my wife. Like, I don't have in my bathroom mirror a nice little sticket note that said, don't beat your wife today. Oh, I'm glad I saw that reminder. I would have forgotten. I don't need reminders of that. I don't need reminders to love my wife. I love my wife. And I'm thankful for it, and I'm glad to tell people about it. By the way, kids, you need to fall in love with your parents again. Amen. Fall in love with your parents. There's nothing wrong with falling in love with your parents. And say, I love my parents. I understand that most teenagers get to the place where I don't want to be seen with you. Can you drop me off two blocks away? I'll walk. It'll be fine. I love my, I love my parents. I don't mind if my, my friends see me. I might not like them giving me a kiss on the cheek, but I'm glad that they love me enough. You know, it's amazing how many kids don't think their parents love them. And they would do anything if their parent would drive them to school. They would do anything if their parent would give them a hug and say, I love you. Amen. Well, if you've got a parent that does that, who loves you enough, why don't you fall in love with your parent and say, I love my parent. I love my master. And I'm not ashamed of them. When's the last time kids told their parents, I love you? When's the last time you told your master you love them? I love you, God, and meant it. We should be vocal about loving our master. We shouldn't have to be reminders. Hey, do you love God? I said I did. It's kind of like the old 
couple who shows up in the pastor's office for a marriage counseling. And the wife says, I don't think he loves me anymore. And the guy says, well, I told you when we got married, and if anything changed, I'd tell you something different. <laughs> well, wives need to be told that often. I love you, I love you, I love you. If you love your master, you don't have any problems saying I love you. You don't have any problems being vocal about it. Somebody come up and says, is that your wife? Yeah, that's my wife. It's not like, I don't know who you're talking about. You understand, I'm being facetious, but do you love God enough to say, I love my master? Or are you still trying to hide? you still trying to say, no, I don't belong to him at all. There's something practical if you love your master. So if you love your master, you'll make a decision to love your master. If you love your master, you'll be vocal about loving your master. Notice this. If you love your master, people will see it. If you love your master, people will see it. Notice with me in verse number six. Then his master, so after he made that decision in verse five and publicly said it plainly, then his master shall bring him unto the judges and shall bring him to the door or to a doorpost and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl and he shall serve him forever. So here this practical law said this guy plainly told him I love my master. He is not forcing me to be in bondage. I'm making a choice to stay and serve him because I love my master. Well, he's supposed to say it before witnesses. Then what the um, master would do is that he would take an awl. So it's like a little metal piece, a little metal spike, and he would pierce his ear with it and put the awl in his ear. So that way it would publicly show that he made a choice to stay with the master. He's not being forced into bondage. He chose to stay because he loved his man. And it would be a, a testimony. It would be a witness to everyone. He made a decision. He's, that master isn't a mean, awful taskmaster that's forcing him into bondage past his time. But the man made a choice to serve his master. And it would be something public. People will see it. It will be a public sign. Now, we're not telling you to bore an all through your ear, but because this is not what we're talking about. But we are saying, if you love your master, people will see it. It will be evident in what you do. You know, I don't, I'm hoping that people don't go up to Miss Lee and say, do your husband love you? I, are you sure? I'm hoping that there's enough evidence by the way that I respond that people say, I could tell that he loves you. And she does enough stuff to me that I, there's no doubt that people say, I know that you love your husband. You put up with him. <laughs> but there should be evidence. If I love the Lord, there should be evidence in the way that I carry myself and the way that I talk about, the way that I carry my life that I love him. That people will see it. There's nothing like as a pastor walking up to someone and start talking with them or dealing with them and then find out in the conversation that you're a Christian. You're a Christian? I would have never guessed. You don't look like one, smell like one, taste like one. There's nothing that matches there. If you love your master, 
It's going to be evident. People will be able to see it. Remember in the book of Acts, how the people, they took note that the disciples, they had been with Jesus. That should be the way that we are. The people know that we've been with Jesus. They know that we've been with the Lord. They can tell there should be no doubt to others that we love the Lord. If I say that I love the Lord, people say, I know he does. That's the way that all of us, if we made a decision, I'm not saying that you have to be the pastor of the greatest thing. It should be evident in your life to others around you. I could tell that they love the Lord. That others will be able to see it. And it should be clearly seen. I know they love the Lord. Something else here. If you love your master, not only will you make a decision. If you love your master, that you'll be vocal about it. If you love your master, people will see it. But if you love your master, you'll serve him forever. If you love your master, you'll serve him forever. Notice again in verse 6. Then his master shall bring him to the judges, and he shall bring him to the door, or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Now, if you love the Lord, there is no expiration, expiration date on when you stop serving the master. There's no expiration date. God, I love you all the way up until 2022, and then after that, we'll see how things go. That's not how marriages are supposed to work. That's not how the kids' relationship with their parents work. Kids, I love you till you're 14 and then we're on a case-by-case basis. And we'll, we'll kind of decide what's going to If you make it to 16, I love you enough to get, for you to get there. That's not how it works. It's not how it should work in marriage. It's not how it should work with the Lord. If I love him, there's no exploration date on that. I will love him forever. By the way, people have a mis- understanding of what love is let's define love love defines holly and hollywood is defined by lust and feelings now feelings are great but that's not love what is love love is a commitment that i've chosen that it takes something from me or that i i give away with no hope of or no promise of reciprocation. It's something I've chosen to give. It's a commitment. I've committed it to you. This is what the masters or the servants doing. Master, I'm committing myself to you. I love you. I'm making a commitment to you to serve you. And I'm going to serve you forever. That commitment doesn't go away. If I've made a commitment to my children, I love my children. I'm always going to love them. It doesn't go away. I made a commitment to my wife before the Lord that God, I'm making a choice to take care of her, to love her, to take care of her, even if she doesn't love me back. I'm loving her. I'm making a commitment to that. That's what biblical love is. It's so foreign in today's concept. Oh, I got plenty of time. I've done early. Let me prove it to you. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the famous love chapter. It talks about charity, which is the form of love that I was talking about. It's a commitment that, that, um, <laughs> that costs you something with no hope of return. And in here, it's talking about charity. 
But in the midst of it, in the middle of it, it sounds like something's placed in here. Does it make sense? Notice with me in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So towards the end of your Bible in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Then we come to the book of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's pick it up in verse number 4. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4. Charity, again, this is the idea of this biblical love. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But wherever there be prophecies, they shall fail. Wherever they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether they be knowledge, it shall be vanished away. For what we know in part, we prophesy in part. But that which is imperfect is come. Then, then that which is in part shall be done away. Then notice verse 11. It almost sounds like it doesn't match the context. But it's exactly where the context was leading. Verse 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. He said, we're talking about love. And then all of a sudden, we're talking about that I became a man. I put away childish things. Well, how does this work? Well, remember that when you're born, you didn't do anything to be born. You didn't have anything to do with that. You just was born. All right? And people, big celebration. Yay! Look at this. We got a brand new child. Congratulations. And presents and gifts come. And, and if you have good friends, they give you years worth of diapers because diapers are expensive. But the child did nothing. Nothing. It was just there. And then it gooed and got. Then you get to the first year celebration. And the year, and the child did nothing. But it throws a big party and presents are given. And then after that, every year, you give presents. And the kid does nothing to earn it. But everything's about them. Oh, look, you made 16. Oh, so wonderful. You survived. They make it to kindergarten. And they graduate kindergarten. And people fly in and give cards to see the kid walk through kindergarten. And all he did was color at school. And people show up. Then they have middle school graduation, which is another con, I mean, thing to. And they celebrate people. And, and, and the child has done nothing but attend school. But oh, this is great. And everything's about them. And then you make it to the place of high school graduation. And yes you survive. And big parties going up. And it's all about them. College happens. You pass some tests. Oh yeah. Here's another party. And what's happening all of their life. It's all about them. Amen. They haven't done anything. And that's part of being a child. But one day. They're going to fall in love. And they are going to get married. And in that marriage, they have to make a commitment. Supposedly, they make a commitment. That I am now going to take care of you at the cost of me. Even if nothing, everything ever happens. Now, unfortunately, some people enter marriage today with the idea that it's all about me. And if it doesn't fit me, then up there. 
And they're still a child. When does someone not become a child? Is it when they're 13? When they become 18? When they're able to vote? 21? When do they become not a child? When do they become a man? When they decide to take on the responsibility of someone else at the cost of themselves. That's when they become a man. That's what love is. By the way, we have a society full of children. Even children who are married. Even children who are raising other children. Because they've never made a commitment to take care of someone else at the cost of them. This is what this chapter is about and that's what it's running for. It's explaining what love is and explaining that when you love someone, you become a man. You become a grown-up. You're no longer a child. I put away childish things. It's no longer all about me. It's now about someone else. When you say, I love my master, you're saying, it's not about me. It's about you. And I love my master, so whatever my master tells me to do, I'm going to do it. Because I made a decision. I put away childish things. It's not about me. It's not about me. That's exactly what this is talking about here. Making a choice to say, I'm following after God. It's no longer about me. It's about him. Do you love your master? Could you imagine someone in that type of master-slave relationship and the slave looks up and says, listen here, I need this and I need this and I need this and I need this and I'm not going to do anything until you tell me not to. We understand in that type of relationship that's not allowed. But here is someone who's not forced in that relationship. He is technically allowed to be free. But he is saying, I know you're not making me serve you, but I love you. I love my master. I'm choosing that it's not about me. It's about you and what you want. And I'm willing to go into that relationship to serve you. Do you love your master? Do you love that one that's an authority over you? Children need to get back into this and say, Mom, Dad, I'm going to trust you. It's not all about me anymore. I'm making a choice to allow you to guide me. For you to look out for me. For you to tell me when I'm doing things that are wrong. And I'm not going to fight back on you. Because I know that you love me. And I love you. And you're looking out for me. You know how many homes that would restore? How many homes would be restored if a husband and wife both made a choice to love each other. And say it's not about me. It's about you. What can I do? I love my master. How many churches could go forward if people would stop fighting, now not y'all, but we're looking at other churches, that would stop fighting against their pastor and say, you know what, we're going to allow God to use you to guide us. I love my master. How many people's personal relationship with the Lord would get fixed when it's no longer all about me? God, you take care of me. You feed me. You supply me. It's all about me. Instead saying, you're the master. I love you. I'm making a commitment to you. How many people's walk with the Lord? So that's the question. Do you love your master? If you love your master, you'll make a decision. Maybe that's someone tonight that says, I need to make a decision. I have never made a personal commitment to follow the Lord. 
I've made it, never made a decision to follow after him. Let me tell you, you need to make the decision. That's your first step. If you love your master, you'll be vocal about it. You have no problems. That's my master. I love him. I'm thankful for him. If you love your master, others will see it. It's not going to be a fight. Do you love your master? And if you love your master, you'll serve him forever. There's no expiration date. You've made a commitment that I'm going to follow after him. He's going to be my master. And I'm going to follow after him forever. Do you love your master? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.